Bell Hummel, the story of Eddie Hummel. Episode 2, Player Becomes Coach. Eddie Hummel was just 28 years old when his playing career came to a sudden, sad end. On November 9th, 1930, early in his eighth season at Ajax, Eddie was playing in his usual right-wing position when he suffered a knee injury, serious enough to force him out of the game. No further details are available. There are no medical records to examine, and no match reports to offer us any clues. All we know for sure is that Hummel never played again for the first team of Ajax. That fateful away match against ZFC and Zondam was his last. Hummel did wear the Ajax colors again. He suited up a few times for the Ajax old-timers team, who later became known as Lucky Ajax. These were essentially honorary games, a chance for fans to cheer for their old favorites long after their best days were behind them. Hummel, as one of the biggest stars of Ajax in the 1920s, was always welcome to play in those games, and he did, occasionally. But once his real playing days were over, Hummel threw himself almost immediately into his next footballing adventure, coaching. First, he served as an apprentice to Bob Glendening, the Dutch national team coach who had wanted Eddie for his 1926 Amsterdam Olympics team. Hummel spent a year under the Englishman, training the juniors and reserves. He passed the coaching certification test and, aided by his experience and reputation, was able to find a coaching position quickly. In 1932, Eddie was announced as the new head coach of RKSV in Volendam, a team known today as FC Volendam. RKSV had been formed in 1920 as a sports club for local fishermen. Because Volendam is an overwhelmingly Catholic city, the new club competed in the RKF, the Catholic Football Association of the Netherlands. The team was well supported, but never had any real success. When Hamel took over in 1932, RKSV had not won a single trophy in any competition. It seems like an odd choice, a famous Jewish former player from the capital city taking the reins of such a small and undistinguished provincial club in a deeply Catholic part of Holland. But Eddie was never going to be offered a position at one of the top clubs like Sparta or Feyenoord or PSV, let alone at his beloved Ajax. The big clubs all wanted English coaches, and Ajax already had Jack Reynolds. But Eddie was the next best thing, a famous footballer who'd played and trained under two of the most famous English coaches in the country. It turned out to be an excellent match, an ambitious modern new coach and a proud local club full of potential. Volendam, a picturesque and bustling village on the banks of the Markemere, sits some 20 miles north of Amsterdam. In the 1930s, most of the club's players made their living on the sea or on the docks. Eddie was the club's first paid professional coach. They could only afford to pay him the smallest of stipends, barely what was needed to cover the cost of his weekly journeys between Amsterdam and Volendam. And what a journey it was. First, Eddie would take a quick steam tram from Pretoriastraat to Zeeburg, then he'd catch the ferry across the Eye to North Amsterdam, 
where he'd board a second steam tram and ride for a full hour to the Volendam station. From there, it was a brisk 20-minute walk to the training ground. RKSV played and trained on a unique field that the locals called Demir, or the lake, and with good reason. It sat like a wide bowl at the bottom of embankments on all sides. When the rain was heavy, as it often was in the region, the pitch flooded and the water stuck around for days. Local kids kept rowboats nearby and would set out on watery adventures while the football players and fans waited for their field to reappear. Whenever the field was flooded, and during most of the winter, the team held their training sessions in a nearby school gymnasium. There wasn't enough room inside to set up proper formations or to scrimmage, so Eddie focused on developing his players' technical skills. Hommel, remember, had trained under Jack Reynolds and Bob Glendening, so it's not surprising that he brought an English attitude to his practices. He insisted that his players learn to control the ball at standards approaching Ajax. The men would pair up and kick a ball at each other from just a few meters away, and it was the recipient's duty to kill the ball at his feet with a single touch. Eddie also had them face each other over a low wooden wall, waist high, so that the two men could see each other but not the ball when it was on the other side. One man would chip the ball over the wall, and his partner had to control it without being able to see it coming. Eddie's own technical abilities were first class, and his demonstrations must have set a high bar. Before long, the fishermen from Volendam were demonstrating a level of skill previously unknown in the Catholic League. It wasn't all smooth sailing that first season. Eddie's rigorous methods were not popular with everyone. A few of the older men actually considered it unsporting to train at all, and many of the players were out to sea for days at a time, which often meant being absent from training. Those who missed too many practices were dropped. In addition to his insistence on technical perfection and regular training, Eddie introduced a modern and complex tactical system, which was initially hard for the Volendam men to adopt. The first few games were chaotic disasters, but eventually the system took hold and RKSV began to thrive. Judging from the club newsletter, the fans were on Eddie's side from the start. They knew they had something like football royalty on their hands and Hamel was a true football intellectual, able to teach the players things they had never thought about before. Soon, RKSV was playing a different kind of football. In Hamel's first season, RKSV won their first ever championship of the Harlem Diocese. In fact, Eddie's Volendam side would go on to win the overall national Catholic championship twice during his years in charge. Cortol, the club's former archivist, considered Hamel the most significant figure in the history of Volendam football, the man who transformed RKSV into a modern, professional footballing institution. He said that Hamel was to RKSV what Jack Reynolds was to Ajax. RKSV's success was a badly needed tonic for a town in crisis. Just as Hamel was bringing modern, successful football to Volendam, the seaside village was entering a period of prolonged economic despair. It was, of course, a time of financial crisis throughout Europe as countries struggled to recover from the Great War. As a neutral country, the Netherlands did not have to pay reparations, but Holland was still in the midst of a long, slow decline caused by the stock market crash at the end of the previous decade. Low wages and high unemployment were taking a toll. 
Volendam also suffered a man-made disaster in a way. In 1932, the same year that Hamel took over at RKSV, the Dutch government completed construction of the Afluisdijk, a massive land bridge sealing off the Zuidersee, or South Sea, and creating a massive freshwater lake that became known as the Isomere. This ambitious engineering achievement succeeded in preventing a repeat of the catastrophic flooding that had devastated the lowlands in the previous decade, while also creating whole new tracts of reclaimed land, known as polders, for farming. But it was a catastrophe for Volendam, who depended on access to the open sea for its main source of income, fishing. And then, in 1937, just as the local economy was showing signs of recovery, the town's single biggest employer, the Volendam Rope Factory, burned to the ground. And since the factory owners did not have enough insurance, it was never rebuilt. Hundreds of jobs were lost overnight. Hummel served as RKSV's coach through it all, and the team's success brought some desperately needed pride to the economically battered region where football and religion were their only respites. Attendance was high, the entire population of Volendam was less than 6,000, but the crowds at Demir on game days often exceeded 4,000. But the club's finances were deeply impacted by the town's financial crisis. Ticket prices at Demir had to be lowered to just a few pennies, so the club was no longer able to pay Hamel's very modest salary. His take-home wage was usually limited to whatever the fans could collect at matches by passing a hat. Occasionally, a villager would give their coach a basket of fish to take home, which must have made for an awkward steam tram journey back to Amsterdam. One year into his tenure at RKSV, and perhaps because of the lack of steady pay in Volendam, Eddie decided to seek a second coaching position. He didn't quit on Volendam. He kept going every week to coach, pay or no pay. The hard-working Amsterdammer signed on at Alkmaria Victrix of Alkmaar, about 20 miles west of Volendam, and began coaching two teams at once. It wasn't so unusual for someone to coach two teams at the same time, so long as they weren't in the same competition. Alkmaar Victrix played in the second division of the National League, or KNVB, while RKSV remained in the Catholic League, or RKF. This presented a few logistical challenges. Eddie lived and worked in Amsterdam, and was still commuting to Volendam one night a week. His contract at Alkmaria Victrix required him to lead training sessions in Alkmaar at least twice a week, once with the youth and reserves on Wednesday, and again with the first team on Thursday. This was all on top of his day job as a clerk in a grain merchant's office in Amsterdam. Eddie was a busy man. The name of his new club, Alkmaria Victrix, could be traced all the way back to 1573, when Alkmaar became the first Dutch city to withstand a siege by the Spanish army during the Eighty Years' War. The locals cracked open the dikes surrounding the city in order to flood the polders where the Spanish troops were camped, forcing them to retreat. This helps to explain the city's reputation as a place filled with tough, no-nonsense survivors. The club's full name was Alkmaria Victrix Football and Cricket Club. Its charter, written in 1898, stipulated that every member of the competition team is obligated to purchase the following uniform to wear at all matches. Headgear, dark blue cap, bicycle model. Upper body, dark blue sweater marked with AV in red letters. Lower body, dark shorts. Cleats preferred. 
but by the time Eddie was brought on in 1932, football had taken priority over cricket. The bicycle caps, once required for all football players, had been abandoned, and the first team had been a respectable side for years, playing in the second division since 1908. But the club's loyal supporters were not satisfied. They wanted trophies and promotion. The pressure on their new coach was heightened by two additional factors. The club paid him a real salary, 2,500 guilders per season, much more than what he'd ever gotten from RKSV, and they wanted something for their money. Plus, all the club's previous trainers had been English, so Eddie would have to justify his salary and overcome the broadly held assumption that Dutch coaches were inferior to British ones. The fact that Hommel was actually American would only have made matters worse if that had been known to the club. But Eddie had two things in his favor his pedigree as a world-class player, and his first successful season in Volendam. These had no doubt been instrumental in securing this new appointment in Alkmaar. To make the schedule work, Hommel moved RKSV's trainings to Friday nights, which was actually more convenient for the team's fishermen players. Eddie was now traveling and coaching at least three nights a week. Luckily, his commute from Amsterdam to Alkmaria Victrix was much easier than the Odyssey to Volendam since Alkmaar was on a main railway line. Whenever Eddie arrived early, he liked to stop in at Café Houtlust, near the rail station, for a coffee. He took every opportunity to chat with the locals because, as Jack Reynolds had demonstrated at Ajax, a coach's job was as much about public relations as it was about football. One evening at the café, Eddie was introduced to Abraham Elta, the editor of the club magazine Alkmaria News. Elta showed Eddie the notice in the latest edition announcing his appointment. It read, May 1932, a homegrown coach. As of May 1, the board of directors has hired as coach Mr. E. Hummel, old Ajax right-winger and former international player. Mr. Hummel completed his coaching training under national coach Bob Glendenning. Alkmaria hopes to reap the fruits of his instruction in this coming season. Not long after he started as coach, Eddie wrote the first of several columns for the club newsletter. It was addressed directly to the players and read, The editors have asked me to contribute to the next issue of Alkmaria Club News, and I'm happy to comply, and I'll tell you why. Firstly, it's basically impossible to individually discuss and examine each mistake made during one evening practice. This would take up too much time and would be in no way conducive to a pleasant and smooth practice. That's why, going forward... I'll be using the club magazine once in a while to discuss issues pertaining to the techniques and tactics of soccer, and if there's interest, to the rules of the game as well. But before I get into that, there are one or two other comments that I must share. In the short period that I've been with Alkmaria Victrix, I've come to the conclusion that there is enough fine material here for us to achieve something. Achieving that is part of my job, though it's also part of yours. Only when all players work together will we succeed in taking Alkmaria where we all want to see her go. This will require practice, and then more practice. And this doesn't mean eight or nine players on each team. It means all, without exception. Comments about not needing practice are strictly taboo, especially because soccer will always be a game full of surprises, in which there's always something left to learn for everyone. Likewise, the often used but more often misused argument that we play for fun will no longer be heard. Any rational person will have to admit that one cannot play for fun 
until one has mastered the tactics and techniques of the game, and until one is capable of playing an entire game without issues. This can all be achieved, but only with dedicated and intensive practice. We must all admit that playing games without sufficient practice leads to quicker burnout than in the opposite case. It means needlessly making one's teammates' jobs more difficult, which in turn is sure to sour team morale. Let us try to avoid these difficulties. We must and will succeed, so that by season's end, we will be able to look back satisfied, because we will know we fulfilled our duty toward ourselves and toward our club. At the end of this short introduction, I'd like to ask the players to come to me with any questions pertaining to the game of soccer in general. It will be my pleasure to then answer these questions in the club magazine. Signed, E. Hamel. Eddie's weekly salary at Alkmaria Victrix came mostly from a stipend paid by dues-paying members, but it was also supplemented by a percentage of ticket sales. And although attendance numbers were not quite as high as in Volendam, the ticket prices were five times higher. The board's message to their new coach was clear. Pack the stands and you'll reap a share of the profits. Eddie employed the same tactics as at RKSV, holding practices in a nearby school gymnasium during the winter months. The players all knew he'd been a star at Ajax, trained by the famous Jack Reynolds, and most responded well to their new coach. There were a few malcontents, but those were quickly dropped. And just as at RKSV, Eddie's influence on the standard of play in Alkmaar was immediate and significant. In Hamel's first season in charge, Alkmaria won three more games than the previous year and attendance was up. But in his second season, some of the senior players began to tire of Hamel's taskmaster style and started giving less than a full effort at practice. A few were dropped and others quit. Eddie was forced to field players who were just not good enough for the first team. They lost more games than they won and sank in the table. Attendance flagged. The board grew frustrated. By the end of his third season, they had lost faith in him. Eddie resigned his position and was replaced by H.T. Longen, another Dutchman. Eddie's short time at Alkmaria Victrix had come to a somewhat bitter end. There is one remarkable photograph from Alkmaar that, although not of Eddie himself, manages to capture the joy of Hamel's time there and in a very personal way. Three years earlier, during his last full season as a player for Ajax, Eddie Hamel had married Johanna Winberg in a ceremony in August of 1929 at the Lechstraat Synagogue in Amsterdam. There's not much known about Johanna Winberg, except that she grew up in Amsterdam as the daughter of a prosperous diamond merchant and was three years younger than Eddie. We have just two photographs of Johanna Winberg Hamel. The first is a small and rather unflattering photo of the newlyweds published in the Ajax Club newsletter alongside their wedding announcement. The second is much larger, taken several years later, and shows Johanna sitting among a group of friends in the front row of the grandstands at Alkmaria Victrix. We see an elegant and beautiful woman, with stylish eyeglasses and a dark beret worn to one side. Behind her, Fans are on their feet cheering, hands raised in celebration. Her sophistication seems almost out of place in the rough and ready atmosphere of a 1930s football match. Everyone else in the photo is looking toward the field where a goal has just been scored. Johanna is the only one looking straight into the camera's lens. 
Her expression tells us that while Johanna shared Eddie's love of the game, she did so with ambivalence, as if in the knowledge that the young couple's future would be more than just friendships and goals and celebrations. It's a joyful moment, but there may be harder times ahead. Bell Hommel is written and presented by Jim McGow and is produced and edited by Nigel Coutinho. Original music written and performed by Paul Chavez. Artwork by Fred Davis. Additional voices by Travis Friedrich. To see photographs and documents relevant to this story, visit our website at bellhommelpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram via the links on our website. Next time on Bell Hummel, Amsterdam and Beverbike.